Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm the youth pastor here at Southwood. And uh, as we move into the new year, it really is my joy to get to be a, a small part of this church, um, knowing that as we move into 2010, that God has really great plans for us as individuals and as a church family. I really believe that, and I'm excited to get to be um, a part of, of this church. Um, and I hope that as the new year comes upon us, that there is a freshness for us. I hope that it is exciting you and motivating you to, to move forward in, in your relationship with God. Um, for me, I, I, love, I love a new year because I love fresh starts and because I need fresh starts, a lot of them. So I'm very excited about this new year. In addition to working with the awesome young people here at Southwood, uh, from time to time I get to step up here and share a little bit uh, about what I've been learning and what I've been thinking through as I struggle to understand life as a child of God. Um, and I, I pick those words very purposefully, struggle to understand life as a child of God. Because first of all, isn't that amazing that we can even claim that, that we can even claim to be children of God? It's, a, it's amazing. In, in John's gospel, he describes Jesus Christ as the true light which enlightens everyone. And John writes that this light was coming into the world. Speaking of the time when, when our eternal invisible God would take on flesh and blood and step into the middle of our world as Jesus Christ. And he says that he was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That his own people did not even receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's amazing, especially when you consider that we have all previously forfeited our right to be his children because of our rebellion against him. It's amazing that he would give anything good to us, much less the, the right to be once again called his sons and daughters. See, for, for John, the love of God found its full expression in this great reality, that you and I once again could be a part of God's family be called his sons and daughters again. But it is a struggle to understand life as his child, and I'm sure that you, many of you can agree with me. And I stand before you, and, and I'm just going to be upfront and honest before we jump into this thing this morning, that I have struggled this week. You see, I spent half of this past week preparing for the message that I'm about to give this morning, and half of this past week running away from it. Because it's been that personally convicting and challenging to me. And I've struggled. It's been like those vanity mirrors, you know, that women have. They used to put on makeup. They, they magnify your face like a billion times and let you see things you wish you never saw. You know what I mean? Like nobody needs that kind of detail, right? <laughs> but, but that's been what this message has kind of been for my soul. It has made me take a much closer look than I probably wanted to at some things in my life. And what I found was not always really pretty. And so I've struggled this week, I have, but I, I desperately need to learn what God has been trying to teach me. And so I, I just say that this message this morning is as much for me as it is for anybody else. And so would you guys just pray with me again as I ask God to kind of move me out of the way and, and say what he wants to say. I, I'd appreciate that. 
God, thank you, and I do ask that you would speak this morning through your word, you would speak through me, you'd move me out of the way, that your words would stick to soft hearts, and that anything that's from me would just fall to the ground and go away. God, we trust you to open our ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks. I'm going to ask for a little participation as we kind of jump in this morning. Um, would you raise your hand if you have a TV in your home? And keep, them, keep your hands raised. Okay. If you have a TV in your home. Now, keep your hands raised if you have two or more TVs in your home. Okay. If you have three or more televisions in your home, keep your hands raised. Okay. We still have a handful out there. What about five or more TVs in your home? Okay. We have a, a couple. Okay. All right. Well, it is, it is obvious that we live in a society where TVs are affordable, widely owned, and probably even considered to be a staple product of the American household. Something that you cannot and should not live without, right? I mean, many of us enjoy various forms of entertainment that come to us through the television. A lot of us, if we were honest, probably spend a pretty good chunk of our of our discretionary or leisure time sitting in front of a television, right? Now, I'm not here to make any judgments about TV and American culture or anything like that, right? At least not today. Um, But I will point out one obvious fact, and that is that small and large businesses alike know about our little TV addiction, and they want to use it to push their latest products in front of our face day after day and maximize their profits, right? Right? So they use the television for their business strategy. And somewhere along the way, and them trying to figure out the best way to do this, the infomercial was born. Okay? So love them or hate them, you know what an infomercial is, and you've probably seen, you've probably seen your fair share. And they all have one major thing in common, right? An unsubstantiated claim that their product will totally transform your life in 90 days or less, Right? All of them. If a, if a product has an infomercial, you can be sure that instant results are guaranteed, you know? So bear with me as I think through something ridiculous. And that's my disclaimer, okay? What if Jesus had an infomercial for salvation, all right? I realize this is ridiculous. What if Jesus had an infomercial for salvation? Now, since salvation is a free gift through the grace of God. It is not something that can be purchased. It is not something that can be earned. Okay, it would have no price, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have selling points. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the forgiveness of sin is a pretty solid selling point. Am I right? Okay, but go with me here. If he had an infomercial, what would his main selling point be? Would it be A... That if you believe in him or respond to this offer, that in 50 years or 30 years or 10 years or whenever it is that you die, you will enjoy amazing life in heaven. Would that be his main selling point? Or would it be B, that if you believe in him, respond to this offer, that right now you can have access to a new kind of life that is richer than you ever imagined? Would his offer be something that only dealt with this future reality after death, or would it be something for us right now? I mean, think about it. You can't go to sleep, so you're flipping through channels late at night, and all of a sudden you hear, tired of being a miserable sinner? (laughs) 
respond today and the grace of God is yours absolutely free, you know? Satisfaction guaranteed, you know? I mean, seriously, though, what would be, what would be the main selling point? Now, I, I realize this is ridiculous, but, but I think we very often get fixated on this future reality of, of our hope for, for heaven after we die. But I think that, it, that if we read the New Testament, it, it is clear that the call of Christ is the call to a new kind of life experience on this earth. So we cannot conclude anything else but that God has deep desires to transform our lives in the present. That Christ was not sent from the Father to, to live the life that he lived, to die the way that he died, to rise from death, only to give us a way to God and, and an eternal destiny. Is that a part of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it is not limited to that. Blake and I were talking earlier this week, and he said it very simply and clearly. He said that Jesus' call to eternal life includes life in heaven, but it is also aimed at heavenly life on earth. Isn't that a great and simple way to say it? Jesus was sent in order that we might have a qualitatively new type of life experience in in this life. To leave our old ways behind and to learn a new order of things. To learn a new way of living under the principles of his kingdom. And God's word is is very clear that the purpose in in him sending Jesus says in in 1 John chapter 4. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Not so that we might just die in him but that we might live and find a new way of life through him. I've been reading an author, some of you guys might be familiar with, his name is Dallas Willard, and he says it uh, very clearly, a person is a spiritual person to the degree that his or her life is effectively integrated into and dominated by God's kingdom or rule. That Christian spirituality is about living in sync with the kingdom of God. It's about a newness of life that drastically differs from the status quo. And that access to this new life is available to us as children of God. Today, I want to look at two primary characteristics of this new kind of eternal life. And I want to look at two primary callings of this new type of life. And talk about how might we, if Jesus Christ came, that we might live through him, how might, how might we access this new type of abundant life in our lives now, today? But before we jump in, I want to make it very clear up front that the work of Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes us right with God. That his work alone is the only thing that makes us right with God and frees us to work towards this kind of life. I'm going to use words today like effort and work and spiritual disciplines and, and thing like, things like that. But I, uh, but I want to make a disclaimer up front that this new kind of life is completely and only upheld by God's undeserved love. First of all, because he loved us first. It's clear. He came after us. He 
caused our new life in Jesus Christ. First Peter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So he's responsible for any type of new life we might have, and he's given us his Holy Spirit, apart from which everything I talk about today would, would not even be possible. So all of this is upheld by the grace of God. Any hope that we might have for, for a new kind of life now is upheld by the grace of God. I do believe there are two primary characteristics of this new and eternal life. The first one is intimacy or, or knowing God. One of my favorite and, and very short verses in Scripture is, is John 10.10 10, where Jesus Christ said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Great. I want abundant life. Sounds good to me. I could use a little bit more detail, though, about what that actually means. Thankfully, he, he gives us some a little bit later on. He said in a prayer to God, he said, this is eternal life. He defines it. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So one of the primary characteristics of this new and eternal life is, is intimacy, is knowing God. And the cool thing is that if, if eternal life is about knowing God, then for many of us, our eternity has already begun. It is not something that we just await. Now, yes, we do await the full realization of this at a point in the future, but our eternal life has already begun. We already possess it. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but for some reason, I'm having a hard time letting go of the, the Christmas holidays, okay? Um, my wife and I had an amazing Christmas holiday. We were all over the place visiting her family, my family. We literally had four different Christmases. I mean, four different days, four different Christmas trees, four different stockings, four different gift opening sessions. I mean, it was awesome, okay? <laughs> Loved it. And I'm kind of having a hard time letting it go because it was really a, a great holiday. But when, when it comes to me and, and opening presents, um, I get fully involved in whatever. If I like it, I get fully involved in whatever it is that I just open. And I totally forget that it's Christmas morning and there's people you know, still doing stuff. I, I'm trying it on. I'm driving it across the living room. I'm smelling it. Whatever it is, I want to like play with it, test it out, see if it fits, and I just kind of get fully involved with the gift that I just opened. So I want you to think about one of the favorite gifts that you received this past Christmas. I want you to imagine that gift, but I want you to imagine that gift still inside of the box or the bag or whatever that it came in. It's still inside the wrapping paper. It's still in the box. And think about that. Now, the moment that your mom or your dad or your spouse or whoever it was gave you that gift it belonged to you. But as long as it sits in your lap and you don't open it, you have no knowledge of that gift and you have no enjoyment of that gift. In order to get there, you've got to actually do some work. You've got to rip it open. You've got to pull it out of the box. You've got to try it on, smell it, drive it across the living room, whatever it is, for you to begin to enjoy that gift. I want you to go with me to, to 1 John chapter 5. If you've got a Bible this morning, flip with me to 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 11 and 12. In verse 11, 1 John chapter 5 says this. That the testimony of God is this. That God has given us eternal life. 
and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It really couldn't be more clear that if you believe in the name of the Son of God, then you possess eternal life. And I don't just mean this future kind of eternal life. I mean this abundant, intimate, right now kind of eternal life. That it belongs to you. Well, you might say, well, Chris, I sure don't feel like I have abundant life. Actually, I'm kind of burnt out and tired. I'm kind of worn down by life. Well, that might be true. And I kind of feel the same way, actually, a lot. But the fact is that we do possess it in Christ. It is ours. We need to learn how to access it. We possess it already in Christ. We must learn how to access it. I love Paul's advice to his young friend and pastor in training, Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. He knows that it already belongs to Timothy through his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, Timothy, take hold of it. Lay hold of this eternal life. How do we do that? Well, we're going to get there in a second. We're going to get there in a second. The second characteristic, I believe, of this eternal life is imitation. If the first is intimacy or, or knowing God, then the second is imitation, becoming like Him. I don't mean becoming like Him like you're omnipotent and you have all this power or you're all omniscient and you know everything or you're omnipresent and you exist everywhere at the same time. I mean becoming like him in character. Again, Dallas Willard, sorry, this might get annoying, but I've been reading him a lot lately and it's been great for me. Um, He said that spiritual formation is the process through which those who love and trust Jesus effectively take on his character. When this process is what it should be, they increasingly live their lives as he would if he were in their place. They come more and more to share his vision, love, hope, feelings, and habits. To become like Christ, to imitate him. Now this is a pretty convicting little paragraph here because I I know that if I look real closely at my life, um, I see a lot of things that aren't necessarily in line with his character. This is why this message has been so uncomfortable for me this week because frankly I just don't want to compare myself to Jesus all the time if you know what I mean because I don't always measure up that well the word of God Ephesians chapter 5 says be kind to one another forgive each other as God and Christ forgave you therefore be imitators of God as beloved children that we are called to imitate Jesus. And it's very interesting to me that, that Jesus never commanded us to do anything that he was not already practicing. You know what I mean? Love one another. Love your enemies. Seek first the kingdom of God. Pray. Wash one another's feet. Forgive each other. Whatever it was, Jesus lived this new kind of life on earth and calls us to imitate him in that. You know, it's cool how, we're, how we are wired as human beings, how, how we have this ability to be transformed or molded by uh, the people that we surround ourselves with. I mean, all, all, you've, you've seen this in countless different ways of how you can be changed by the people who are around you. And sometimes it works out for, for the better, 
unfortunately, it doesn't always work out for good. Um, Does anybody here listen to country music? Anyone in the crowd? Okay. Um, I don't. If you do, that's okay. I'm I'm sure God still loves you. But um, I'm not a big country music fan. Somehow in the last few months, I uh, stumbled across this song by a guy named uh, Rodney Adkins, all right? And it's called Watching You. Has anybody ever heard this song? Okay, there's like three. Good. Okay, so the, the story of this song, this, this dad is telling the story about um, him driving home from McDonald's with his four-year-old son, okay? And he's caught off guard by this red light and comes to this, slams on his brake and comes to this screeching stop at, at the stoplight. And his son's french fries go everywhere and he spills his orange drink in his lap and, and his son is covered in his, in his McDonald's food. And according to the song, he says, my four-year-old son said a four-letter word, it started with S, and I was concerned. Okay? So, upon, I guess, the dad realizing that he was safely stopped at the stoplight, he asks his son, son, where did you learn such a word? And the son's response is where the song gets its title. He says, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? Now, this might not be the greatest songwriting of our generation, all right? (laughs) But it does communicate a great point, that from our earliest years, we take on the characteristics of those that we surround ourselves with. But it works in the opposite direction, thankfully, that we can become better by surrounding ourselves with people who demonstrate positive characteristics. And it's cool, I think, that God took advantage of that and his whole plan for salvation, and his whole plan of teaching us this new way of life. I mean, he sent Jesus Christ to come and live his life in the midst of these 12 knuckleheads that we call the disciples for three years so that they could see him live this new kind of life, so that they could experience it and interact with it on their own, and that eventually they might even learn this new way of life that they saw demonstrated by God in their midst. It's amazing that God would take advantage of our moldability in that, in that sense through teaching the disciples a new way of life. My point is this, that you cannot begin to become like Jesus if you are not getting to know Jesus. And you cannot get to know Jesus if you're not around him at all. That intimacy and imitation are necessarily linked. That we must be growing in our knowledge of Christ before we can grow in our imitation of him. So even though people can, can rub off on us as we kind of passively move through life, becoming like Jesus is not a passive journey. It is not a passive journey. And that's where we're going for the kind of second half of this message is what is our part in this deal? How do we grow in our knowledge of Christ and in our imitation of him? It's not a passive journey. Charles Swindoll says, hanging out at church, hoping it will transform you into a deep Christian is only slightly less foolish than hanging out in a garage and expecting it to turn you into a car. That just by simply being here and being around this does not mean that in a year or so you're going to be a deeper Christian or you're going to know God more or you're going to be more like him just by being here. You see plenty of people that, look, that 
might go to the gym all the, all the time, but if they're not engaging and putting some effort into it, there's not going to be any transformation there. So what does it look like for us to participate and to move towards this new kind of life? Well, if there's two primary characteristics of this life, I think there's, there's two, I, I wouldn't say primary callings. You could find a lot of different callings, but two that I'm going to talk about this morning. The first is to be a submissive student of Jesus, our teacher. It's really, really exciting that this semester we're going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, looking at Jesus' teaching. It's really cool that that's where we're headed. There are a few qualities of a submissive student, I believe. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus himself says that a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I think the first quality of a submissive student, if we are going to work towards this, this new kind of life, that the first quality of a submissive student is someone who is sober-minded. And this simply means just having an accurate view of yourself. I'm sure none of you were this person, but do you remember that guy in high school who always thought that the teacher was an idiot and doesn't have anything to teach me? Oh, I could teach this class. I know. You know what I mean? I know everything. I have no need to be taught. That is not the quality of a submissive student. We, we cannot be like that if we're going to grow in our imitation of Christ. Romans 12.3 says, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It takes a humble heart to recognize that we have much to learn. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus, studying this stuff for 20, 30, whatever years. We have got to have a sober-minded view of ourselves that we have much to learn. There's a humility that must be present for us to grow in our knowledge. The second quality, I think, of a submissive student is somebody who is studious. That you actually apply your mind to study the ways of Jesus. As you would, I'm sure there's a whole variety of professions that are present here in this room. And just as you learned your trade or your profession or whatever it is that you now would consider yourself to be skilled in or professional, you applied yourself diligently to study the ways of that trade. And if we are going to learn a new way of living from our teacher Jesus, we must apply ourselves to study his ways as well. I was reading this morning in Psalm 143, and the writer says, Teach me to do your will, O God. Teach me. Make me know your ways, God. Teach me what it looks like to live this new kind of life. The last quality, I think, of a submissive student, it's pretty obvious, they're submissive, right? When he is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. To learn from Jesus is to hear and to obey. To learn from Jesus is to hear and to obey. I want to tell you how this has frustrated me this week. Um, my wife probably knows this better than anybody else, but um, I can get frustrated pretty easily about some things. Um, and I was reading earlier this week in Scripture, and, and it says that God is slow to anger. And I thought, wow, I'm not. <laughs> 
I'm about to preach this message on Christ's likeness and imitating God. And wow, I can, I'm not always slow to anger. And so I said, okay, God, you want me to be like you? Help me to be slow to anger. All right? Help me to be slow to anger. I prayed that prayer. And no lie, within 30 minutes of praying that, there were three specific things that just ticked me off. You know what I mean? It's so, and it, oh, every single one of them just, just grinded me. And I was like, all right, slow to anger. I see where this is going. Okay, you know, great. But to be a submissive student means that when we hear from God what he is like, we begin to obey and submit ourselves to that. Jesus himself said, John 13, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Requires some, requires some effort, some obedience on our part. The second calling that I want to talk about this morning if we are to take hold of this eternal life, we must be purposeful participants. Now, uh, that's kind of a mouthful, kind of a tongue twister, but there are some qualities of a purposeful participant. These words are, are picked um, very purposefully because we must engage with God, I believe. We must engage with God if we're to grow in this direction. First Timothy 4, 7-8 through 8 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise, when? For the present life. And also for the life to come, yes, but for the present life. New and abundant life in the present. First quality of a purposeful participant is that they are in position. And when I say that, I mean that they are putting themselves in a position to actually meet with God, learn from Jesus, to be changed. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I can't tell you how many times in the last several years of being in youth ministry, I've had a high school kid come up to me and say, man, I'm just feeling really far away from God. I don't get it. I'd be like, well, man, have you spent any time with God this week? Oh, no, it's been a really busy week. I've had a lot of tests and stuff. Well, have you, spent, have you spent any time with God in the last two weeks? No, man, I mean, it's, you know, it's finals coming up. It's just football season, you know. Well, have you spent any time with God in the last month? How about the last six months? Oh, no, man, you know, I just got this new girlfriend. You know, it's December, whatever, you know. Bro, you can't sit there lamenting about how God feels distant from you if you have made no effort on your part to draw near to him. I mean, this is pretty clear. And if we move towards God, that he will, he will move towards us. And so by faith, we put ourselves in position. The next quality of a purposeful participant, I believe, is to be in practice. Practice implies this repetitive, persistent action over time that leads to development, that leads to growth. I'm not sure if you noticed or not, but I kind of hobbled up here this morning um, because my wife and I just joined Gold's Gym this past week, all right? And um, I don't know why, but for, for some reason, after a couple of years of not having worked my calf muscles out at all, I decided on Wednesday 
that I was going to do calf raises, all right? So put all this weight up on this machine and lift it all up in the air just using my calves. Terrible idea, all right? I have, it took me five minutes to get down 12 steps in my apartment this morning. I mean, just working my way down the stairs because I have not been in the practice of working out my calf muscles. And so at first, we might experience a little discomfort as we kind of move in this direction. But if I call it quits and say, oh, that hurt, I'm not doing that again for another three years. Well, then the next time I come back around, it's just going to be agonizing again. What I need to do is wait for this pain to go away, and then next time, sometime next week, I'm going to hit it again. Maybe a little lighter on the weight this time, all right? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. We've, we've got to be in practice. This word, discipline yourself, in the Greek is, I'm not sure how to really pronounce it, but it's, it's gymnazo, which is where we get our English word gymnasium. So it implies this disciplined kind of focused effort. Now, I'm not going to go real deep into the spiritual disciplines. That's not my point this morning. Um, I think that you guys probably have a fairly good grasp of, of the things that we can do to engage God, the, the practices that we can um, implement into our lives to move in His direction. I do want to recommend, if you're, if you're wanting to kind of move forward in this, in this area of your life, there's a book by Charles Swindoll, very clear title, says, So You Want to Be Like Christ. Eight essentials to get you there. Now this guy, I've discovered this past week by moving all these books around because of the flood here at Southwood, that this guy was a book writing machine. I mean, this guy probably has written 60 books or so. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So he's good at it. And it's clear and it's straightforward. And he walks through eight essential spiritual disciplines to help us grow into the image of Jesus Christ. You pick it up at Barnes & Noble, Scripture Haven, Amazon.com. I encourage you. It's really a helpful resource. The last thing I want to say about spiritual disciplines is I was, as I was working through this week, I felt like God really kind of put this on my heart one night. It was really encouraging to me that I practice the spiritual disciplines not so that God would love me more, but so that I would love God more. I practice the spiritual disciplines not to earn or gain some favor from God so that he would love me more, but I practice the spiritual disciplines so that I would love him more. Because I know in my mind that he is good above all things, that he is worthy of the affection of my heart, but my heart is slow to catch up to that sometimes. And so I have to discipline myself in some ways to get before God so that I might be changed. Lastly, Purposeful participant is in process, is in process. When we have this new life in Christ through faith, we are not instantly transformed overnight by the Spirit of God. We are given the Spirit which is in opposition to our flesh and works against our sinful desires, but we are not changed instantly. We must participate with the Spirit in this process of changing. And I want to read, I promise you, this is the last time I'm going to quote Dallas Willard this morning, okay? But it's very, very insightful. He says, One of the greatest temptations that we face as evangelicals is the idea that the personality and the heart are going to be transformed by some lightning strike of the Spirit. 
you can call it revival or whatever you want, that there's going to be this great boom, and then suddenly you will be transformed in every aspect of your being. And there will be no need for a process. It will all be accomplished passively and immediately. He goes on to say, we cannot continue to hope that lightning is going to strike us and out of this we will come glowing with spirituality. We must participate in the process. It takes effort. It takes persistence. All standing upon the grace of God that he supplies, but we have a part in it. So as we wrap up this morning, again, I think it's so great that we are moving into a semester where we are going to be studying the life of Jesus. We're going to be sitting at his feet to learn the principles of life in his kingdom, the the principles of this eternal kind of life that he came to give us. My encouragement to all of us, to myself, as we move into this semester, is that we would come to terms with the effort that it will take for us to actually grow in our intimacy with God and in our imitation of Him. That we would come to terms that it's going to take some effort on our parts. It will require action. It will require effort. It will require learning and obeying. It will require our participation. But in Christ, this eternal new kind of life is ours if we will take hold of it. If we will take hold of it, it is ours. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you so much that we stand only on your grace, that you love us in Christ, that we are redeemed and blameless, and we have peace with God as your children through Jesus alone. But standing on that grace, God, I believe you've called us to run after you, to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, to participate in this process of of being changed and taking hold of the new kind of life. Help us, help me to do that. Teach us this semester the principles of your kingdom and give us the grace to submit to our teacher and obey and be changed. We love you, we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.